Man, Tom, you're doing a good job today with all this music. It's been great today. Wow, it's just wonderful. I thought I heard Brother Chuck shout. Amen. He would have loved that. Man, it's been good. So good. Thank you so much. And I just want to say, if you... If you want to come and worship, if you want to go to the, you don't have to wait to the end of the service. If you want to just praise the Lord and worship him, you come at any time. Amen. I hope you know that. We want to have liberty. And uh, you say, oh, that, that'll lead to, you know, wildfire and all that. No, no. It won't. Just, I wish sometimes it would. <laughs> you know, I mean, just to get us out of our, uh, our uh, uptightness. Sometimes, you know, uh, the choir sang, Dave said, Preacher, I almost took a lap. And I thought, well, that would shake some folks up. But that, <laughs> I understand what he's saying, amen? Uh, that would be, that'd be all right. As long as it's done in the spirit and not for show. And so I don't know how some people can just handle it. I, I'm trying to contain myself up here and I can hardly do it. And it's just so good. Thank you all that ministered today in music, choir, everybody. Fantastic. And I know the Lord is pleased. John chapter 19, I almost don't feel like preaching. Don't get excited. I'm going to. <laughs> almost don't feel like preaching, but I am not intending to be long. And we got the clock fixed. So last week I, I felt so proud that I was letting you out 10 minutes earlier than normal. Uh, really 20 minutes, but. You know, I was told it was the clock, so I'll do my best today. Again, we're getting ready next week's Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. And boy, I love that day. And uh, if anybody ought to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, ought to be us, his saints. And I know there'll be so many churches all over the world worshiping our Lord and celebrating. But this is our local assembly and. I always look good, look for that great day that we can uh, uplift the Lord Jesus. The choir is uh, doing many songs and specials, and uh, there'll be some scripture reading and a message. So if you're inviting people out, you'll not be disappointed in the opportunity uh, that the gospel will be clear and preached. We got our breakfast at 9.15, a short devotion. And again, invite your family and friends. It might be the only time you can get them to come. That'd be great. And then we'll have an evening service on Resurrection Sunday as well, Sunday, uh, Easter Sunday. So it, it's going to be good. But getting us ready, last week I preached a message I felt would help. And, and uh, also this morning, John chapter 19, we'll take a look at the verse, six verses. And the Bible says, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe, and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto him, Behold, I bring him forth to you that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests, therefore, and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. 
Drop down to verse 12. And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover. And about the sixth hour, he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what our ears have heard today, what our souls have felt. The music today, Lord, has truly been moving and helpful in the preparation of our hearts to worship you. Lord, I was blessed in Sunday school, the lesson. Lord, I, it's been good to be in thy house today. And Lord, now I, I pray that you help me to deliver the message you placed upon my heart. And Lord, help me to honor and glorify you as I preach. Give me train of thought. Help me with my emotion today. Lord, I'm filled up, and it's hard for me. You know, Lord, how hard it is for me when I get emotional. I pray, God, you'd help me to speak forth your word boldly, clearly. Now, Lord, help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk to you today about the faithful near the cross. The faithful that were near the cross of Jesus Christ. Again, getting ready to worship the Lord in a very special way. Next Sunday, we'll focus today on Calvary. I'm glad for all the music focusing on that very truth as well. The crucifixion of our Lord. But upon especially those that were involved in the matter. In Matthew chapter 27, we can't bounce back all the time, but we'll do a little bit in Matthew 27 as well today. But we are given by the Holy Spirit's oversight a description of the trial of Jesus leading up to the cross. Turn to Matthew chapter 27, if you would, and listed in Matthew's gospel, chapter 27, are several individuals or several witnesses to what transpired that day preceding Calvary, prior to the cross, the very day of our Lord's execution. And there, again, are several individuals. Now, we'll highlight a few and mention some others and, and wrap up our message today. But I want us to focus today on those individuals that were near the cross, especially the faithful that were near the cross. Now, the first individual today was not faithful, although many thought he was. And that's Jesus and Judas mentioned in the crucifixion scene. In Matthew chapter 27, look if you would, verse 1, and we'll see what God gave us in his word. He says, when the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. 
Then Judas, which had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the, thir- the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. Now, notice um, Judas here uh, being the treasoner, uh, the one that committed treason against the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's unbelievable to me, but in my study, I've seen this a few times throughout the years, that some are of the mind that Judas was a hero in the story. They look at this as an, an allegorical story and that really it's focusing on Judas being the, the good man in the story in this, this sense. They believe that Judas knew the Old Testament prophecies and that he was doing what he was doing to fulfill those prophecies, like doing God a favor. Now, I don't understand anybody could think that way. I really don't. It doesn't surprise me, though, because people get together around the Bible and say, well, what do you think it means? What do you think it means? They don't know the Lord, and they come up with all kinds of stuff. But there are some that believe this, that he deliberately sold Jesus into the hands of the enemies so that he would be the one to fulfill Scripture. I say no a million times, no. It's not that way. It ha- not the way it happened. Jesus clearly taught in Scripture himself that Judas was not a hero, but a devil. In John chapter 6 and verse 70, he calls him a devil. Yes, Judas was guilty of deliberate sin for his own benefit, Matthew 27, uh, 26, 24. He was the one that had the bag. Yeah. He collected up those 30 pieces of silver because he wanted the silver. He didn't love our Lord, he loved money, and he loved power, and he loved himself. And Judas, in our text, in chapter 19, verse 4, we already read, he knew that he committed a sin and admitted it. And then he threw the silver down and said, I don't want anything to do with it. And they said, what is that to us? So he's not a hero here, folks. Not at all. He's called the son of perdition. Some of you that may have the idea that somebody can get saved and lose their salvation and get it back again. No, the son of perdition means devoted to destruction. Judas never knew the Lord. He was religious. But he didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That shows you you can be in a church setting. You can go to church your whole life. You can be very religious. You can be, you know... uh, uh, pushing a denominational tag. You can be of this group or that group, but unless you know the Lord, you're not saved. And you're on your way to perdition without Christ. I pray there not be one here today, but if there is, I want you to know Jesus loves you. He died for you on the cross and he'll save your soul today if you'll repent and receive him by faith into your heart and life. Amen. But Pilate was not a saved man, lost his salvation. He never had it. We know from Matthew 27 that he ended up committing suicide over this involvement. And the Bible said he was buried in a potter's field with the tainted gold or silver coins that he gained that day because of his treasonous act. 
That's in fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 11 in verse 3, where it says the price of that would be given to a potter's field. The potter's field was for indigent. It was for the poor. It was for the destitute. Now that was Judas and his relationship to Jesus and the cross. It's sad that he would get so close to the Lord, but never get saved. Hey, if you're here today and you say, I've gone to church my whole life. My parents took me since the nursery. I've been in church for 10 years. I've, I've, I've studied my Bible. I've, gone, I, 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 I've been a leader in church. I've played music. I sang in the choir. Hey, you can be close, but yet not converted. Any man being Christ is a new creature. Have you experienced the new life in Christ? Better check up. Amen. The second individual I want to mention beyond Judas is Pilate in this story. In Matthew chapter 27, take a look if you would at verse 11. Matthew 27, verse 11 in the Bible makes a statement. And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was, he was a, 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 accused of the chief priests and the elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things thou, they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now at the feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner of whom he would. The scripture says, and they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called the Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. Now here we're given this information now about Jesus and Pilate. And this is um, an account of the trial and crucifixion of Jesus who we're talking about here in this whole chapter. And Pilate appears to be very restless and indecisive, you see, because he's caught in the middle of a dilemma, a personal and a political dilemma. He knew that Jesus was an innocent man, so he surmises, he gives thought that how could he settle this tumult that was about to take place, this riot that's about to break out at any moment regarding this man Jesus. Because he knew if Caesar was to hear of this, this riotous situation that he could lose his position, one that he quite liked. Even worse, lose his head. And so in Scripture, we see that Pilate was having a difficult time making a decision that he wanted to make, and that was to release Jesus. But he couldn't. He was fearful of man. The fear of man brings a snare, the Scripture says. Matthew chapter 27, verse 19, in reference, Pilate was wanting to release Christ, and he was reasoning these things out. And then his wife comes to him. If you remember, she had a dream. She took a nap that afternoon because in the daytime. And she had a dream and she said to him, have nothing to do with this just man. Have nothing to do with the execution of this man. And so he begins to refocus on the fact that he wants to 
give Jesus a release. Pilate thought that if he could deal with this situation, he could be free from the situation and, and come unscathed. We find that in Matthew 27 and in John chapter 19. And Pilate's plan to release him, he thought, oh yeah, the Romans each year do a favor for the Jews. Now you got to remember, put it in the context, the Jews hated the Romans. They didn't want them over them in any matter. But here's Pilate, he's trying to please the people so he understands that one time a year he does them a favor by releasing a prisoner that they choose that have been arrested by the Roman government. You know the story. And politically speaking, it would show the compassion and the conciliation of the Roman government toward the Jewish people. And so he thought in his mind, I, I found my out, I, I found my loophole. And I'll say, let's release a prisoner. Would you like Barabbas or would you like Jesus the Christ? He never dreamed, I believe, in a million years that the crowd would say, give us Barabbas. He never thought of that. Now, we know from Scripture that Barabbas was a notable insurrectionist. He was against the government. He caused revolt. He, civil unrest. He was a dissenter of the government. Luke chapter 23. His criminal acts were widely known in Rome. He was a troublemaker. He was known for his ability to stir up the masses and get them all uh, riotous in their hearts and, and that a tumult, a riot would break forth at any time. Mark 15 tells us he was a murderer. And in John 18, we're told that he was a bandit. And so here, Pilate believes that for sure they're going to choose Jesus over this itinerant preacher, Jesus Christ, or, or, or this, uh, this, this uh, criminal Barabbas. And so the chief priests and leadership of Israel, they stir up the people even more, and they put more pressure on Pilate. And you'd have thought that Pilate might be a man of integrity, a man of character, a man of principle, but he wasn't. He was in his position for selfish reasons. So we have Jesus and Judas. We have Jesus and Pilate. And then we come to Jesus and the many spectators that were at the cross. Look at chapter 27 again. Look at verse 33, just a few verses. Verse 33, we read... And when they were come to the place called Golgotha, that is to say the place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when, they had when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And watch this next verse. And sitting down, they watched him there. Wow. There were so many people there that day at the crucifixion. Don't, don't get it in your mind there were seven or eight people. There were hundreds, if not maybe thousand people observing this crucifixion. And crucifixion was being done all the time in Rome. It was not a one-time or a sometime situation. It was the way they dealt with crime in Rome. Matter of fact, on the Appian Way that led to Mount Calvary, they said that they would have 
they would have impaled bodies stuck on, on poles all the way to the city. And they kept those bodies, those corpses up there for so long so it would be a deterrent to crime. You understand? And so they had Jesus and the two that were crucified on either side of him. And that was made by Rome to be a deterrent to anybody that wanted to come against Rome. Jesus in the midst. The focus is Jesus in the midst. But sometimes we miss out on the spectators that were watching that scene. Now if we use the philosophy that of some thinking that Judas was a hero, then these had to be heroes too, right? No. Spectators. Watching Christ die. Watching him lifted up. Watching him suffer. They saw it all. Psalm chapter 22 is a messianic psalm in your Bible, and it was... It's pre-telling of what our Savior would go through on the cross. And to me, it's just a miracle in itself that all that was said prophetically about Jesus in Psalm 22 happened at the cross just the way is prescribed in this chapter. Chapter 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou far from helping me? In the words of my roaring, oh my God, I cry in the daytime. That thou hearest not, and in the night season am not silent. He says in verse 6, But I am a worm, a no man, a reproach of men, a despised of the people. And they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out their lip. They shake their heads, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighteth in him. Just as prophesied, Christ did these things, said these words, the seven sayings from the cross. I will not preach today, but everything is in this chapter in Psalm 22. In verse 11, the psalmist says, Be not far from me, for my trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset about me. They they grape upon me with their mouths as ravenous and roaring lions. I am poured out like water, and my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a pot shark, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast uh, brought me to the dust of death. Jesus said, I thirst, because he was physically thirsty, but more than that, spiritually thirsting as he suffered on the cross of Calvary. And then he says, verse 16, For dogs have compassed me, assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I am made like, I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. It's all there. Read it this week. The psalm is talking about what happened to Christ. And it's also talking about the spectators that were there that day. Jesus was taken from the garden. Matter, the word, better word would be drug from the garden. And he's brought to the high priest's house and he's charged falsely. He's beaten. He's scourged. After that, thinking the people would be satisfied, he's drug up Calvary. And the innocent Son of God is cruelly treated and finally nailed to the rugged cross. And so many people there that day watched that gory scene. They took it in. How horrible. How hideous it was. 
Calvary. The Son of God suffering. But people were standing around that day. Smirking. And staring. Ugly words. Sarcasm. Insult. Much like today sometimes in our society when we think, think, talk of spiritual things and preach the gospel and talk about Jesus. People laugh and, 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 and smirk and, and don't take it seriously. Listen, you ought to take it seriously. You may be here today lost, and you may think this is all a joke. I, I, I have no idea what's in your heart, but God does. But you may be here all dressed up and being religious and thinking you're all right when you're not. Is there a difference? I think not. Just look a little nicer. Listen, as Christian people, we can live our lives as an insult to God. If we don't love him with all our heart and serve him. Amen. We think about those standing around that day, the cross, observing what was going on. And we say, oh, that's shocking to me. How could they be that way? But then think of us that know the truth and how we sometimes set God aside. And don't love him and serve him as we should or used to or could. Amen. That crowd that day reviled him and they accused him of, of all ungodly sins. You know why? I think because, true to scripture, Jesus took on him the sins of the world. Every sin that mankind could ever commit was placed on Jesus Christ and he paid the price for them. Amen. Right. And they had the audacity to say, come down from the cross. If you be the son of God, come down from that cross. Mocking reveling, disrespectful. They didn't care. And then we see the scriptures tells us, in Matthew 27, 45, a darkness floats in. It creeps in. It's only about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, so that ought not be happening. And this was a planned sovereign darkness. For the Son of God was getting ready to die for the sins of the world. The world was shrouded in darkness. And then those spectators took note of that. And fear gripped their hearts. But not faith. I know some people that they get fearful when you talk to them about hell or you talk to them about eternity. They get a little fearful when you talk to them about, do you realize you may be a step from death, as the scripture says. Amen. They get fearful. They get fearful when they've done something wrong and they're about to get caught. They get fearful when they realize that judgment's about to come down. But listen, we need to fear God, not man. And whether we escape the judgment of God all our years and get out of this situation and that situation and not heed this message or, or, or pay attention to this witness, there'll be a day, there'll be a day where we'll stand before holy God with our sins, and they've been dealt with at Calvary if we would care to accept the sacrifice of Christ in our own heart and life. Amen. So yeah, there were spectators at the cross. Most of them wanted nothing to do with them. They were looking just to gawk, just to take in the gore, just to observe what they thought was a sideshow. Can you imagine? But yet there were spectators there that were faithful, and that's my next thought. You have Judas and Jesus and Jesus and Pilate and Jesus and the spectators.
but we also see Jesus and the faithful followers and friends. Matthew 27, verse 55, and I'm about wrapping up, so stay with me today if you would, please. Matthew 27, verse 55, the scriptures go on and say these words. And many women were there beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him, among which was Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of Zebedee's children. And when the evening was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, watch it, and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewed out in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. Now here's a different group of spectators. These are the faithful followers of Christ. These have believed on him. They're friends of the Lord. And they're present there. We see his mother Mary was there, Mary of Cleophas, Mary Magdalene. We see the soldiers. We see the male factors are here. We see the Sanhedrin is there, present. These are representatives of the Jewish body, legal body. These are scribes and elders and priests. And there's a great multitude. There's John there at the foot of the cross. These are present as our Lord was suffering on the cross, shedding his blood for our sins to be removed. And I realized this as I studied this this week that, you know, they took Jesus from the garden and they did all this manner of beating and putting him on the cross. But from that time forward, none of his enemies touched him again. The only people that touched him were those that loved him and took care of him. Joseph of Arimathea, being a new disciple of Christ, pretty recent to the cross, and Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night, they went, and jo Joseph, being a rich man and a man of distinction among the Jews, high office, he begs for the body of Jesus, and he gets it. They're there when it counted. You know, it's important for us to be for Christ when it counts, the Bible said that Nicodemus was a secret disciple for fear of the Jews. But here he's not secret anymore. He's out and out. He's not incognito anymore. He's out and out. He's standing with Christ. Listen, are you a secret disciple of Jesus? You don't want anybody to know. You don't talk about it at work. You don't, you don't get in discussions with your family. You don't want to cause any rifts. That's not what the Lord wants us to be. He wants to be open. He wants us to be Followers of him, disciples of him, witnesses for him. Amen. We live in a world that's so bold today. To, they're so brazen. They take their sin. They flaunt it at God in the world. How come we can't be more bold for Christ? Why can't we stand stronger in our faith and truth? Oh, my goodness. They were, the, they were there that day. The, those that loved him and cared for him and ministered to him. They stood up for him. They took the shame for him. Amen. I want to be like that. I want to be a disciple like that. Don't you? Joseph and Nicodemus took the body of Jesus and lovingly, the Bible said, they, they wrapped him in clean linen and they buried him 
rolling the stone in its place, and they left. Our scripture said they left. They departed. No one touched him but those that loved him after the crucifixion. It's kind of amazing to me. As we look at this scene, and now Jesus' dead corpse. You know, it says that Joseph buried him in his tomb. Now, I want you to think about this. Joseph was a man of high office in Judaism. Passover's coming. I don't think Joseph Arimathea had an old tomb laying around and saying, you know what, I think I'll do so. I think I'll give that to Jesus. No, because why would a man of high standing in the Jewish religion go and buy where corpses, where, where people would be on a hill that were criminals being killed. You see, because that type of a person would make himself unclean for all the religion and all the ritual of Judaism, especially at Passover time. I think that Joseph of Arimathea, knowing what was going to happen, I think he want, went and bought that and paid for it, had the work done. I think it was kind of current. I don't think he had something like that around because that would make him a man of uncleanness. But here's how far he's gone from a secret disciple. Now he's planning how to bless the Lord, how to, how to be instrumental in the Lord's program. And he makes an investment and he puts himself out before the people. And he, together with Nicodemus, are the ones present. They would have been the ones, according to Judaism, that would have been standing afar off. But not them. They came. They came when it counted. And I say to us today, listen, you that are saved, you that are Christian, come out of your secret discipleship. Come out of your lackluster Christian faith. Come out of living in the world and, and rubbing shoulders with all those that don't know God and, and hate God. Come out and stand with Christ. If, you, if there ever was a time, stand up for Jesus. If there ever was a time... Witness for Christ. Show yourself to be who you claim to be. Yes, sir. Or are we just going to come next week to Easter and have a little breakfast and hear the choir sing and go back into our nominal Christian life? Go back to where nobody knows we're a Christian but a few? No, I, I want to declare Jesus Christ. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. So to do that, I got to, I got to stop all my funny business. All my foolishness. I got to say, God, help me get back on track with my life so I can glorify you and be a bold witness for you when it counts. Folks, we're in the last days. I'm sure of it. Next thing for this world is for the tribulation period. I believe the Lord will take the saints out. Could be any time, any time. Now's not the time to stand far off. Be a secret disciple. The faithful were there. Those that loved him were there. They were willing to take the shame, the ridicule, the smirks, the jeers, the sarcasm. Yes, his mother, John the Beloved, Mary Magdalene, who had been forgiven. You know, she was full of seven devils, and the Lord had changed her life. Mary, the mother of James, Joseph, and Salome was there. Mary, the wife of Cleophas, was there. Peter, Matthew, others. It says of them they stood afar off. 
That's not the place to be. Now's the time to stand close to Calvary, to the cross, to Christ. So here's my question wrapping up. Which will it be for you today? We live in a day today where you can run into people just about any day and they claim to be saved, but they don't go to church because it's not convenient or they don't believe in organized religion. You know somebody like that? That's crazy. That's crazy talk. That's crazy talk. You know what that is? That's an excuse for being afraid to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus died for us, and he died because he loved his bride, the church. So why would I take and not have anything to do with Jesus and call myself a Christian? I've had some of them be honest and say, well, I'm not a Christian. I am saved, but I'm not a Christian. I'm not living like Christ. Well, that's, that's honest. But why not? Tell me why not when the Lord has done so much for us. These choirs sang this morning, these specials drew me to tears and, and, and emotionally overcame me. You know why? Because of all the Lord has done for me. How good he's been to me. Why wouldn't I want to get on board with him? Why wouldn't I want to be counted for him? Why would I want to be a secret disciple? Why would I want to be one that doesn't have anything to do with church or God's people? It doesn't make sense to me. As we approach Easter, hear me now. Don't fall for the line today of convenient Christianity. Of commitless Christianity. Of casual, comfortable Christianity. You'll not find that in the Bible. Especially after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hey, you know, that was a great day. Glad day, glad day. The Lord raised from the grave. But I'll tell you what, that was, as far as treatment goes, probably the worst day for the church. Because now they would be persecuted, oh, thousand times worse. But they did it anyway. Because they loved him. They loved him. And they were thankful to him. I'll close with this. I told my wife, at home we have a picture. My wife and I have a picture of us when we first got married in our bedroom. Everybody's got pictures like that, you know. And I'm, Every Sunday I get ready and I, I see this picture. It's my wife and I on our wedding day. We're walking down this very aisle as a young couple. You see, many don't, may know this, but my wife and I came to this church just to get married. Just to get married. And I told my wife, looking at, every time I look at that picture, we, I got one in the hallway of her and I on our wedding day, looking out the front doors of this church, and it's like a silhouette, and it's right there. We're young, I'm skinny, it's great. <laughs> I got proof. Come on over, I'll show it to you. But I told my wife, I said, you know, so many times my mind drifts back. Uh, you and I, as a young 19-year-old couple, we didn't know much. My wife raises a bus kid in a Baptist church. I got saved when I was 17. I'm just learning the things of the Lord. I didn't know anything. And we come to this church by the sovereign hand of God. And we come here. Listen, my wife's told me. You know, Cal sitting here, I didn't, I didn't know any of this till years later. 
My dad was being witnessed to by his father in the neighborhood I grew up in. And when we were looking for a church to get married in, it was my dad, my lost truck driver dad, that said, well, you need to go talk to that preacher. He's been witnessing to me. And folks, can you think about God in his way of planning things? You're going back and God's saying, I'm going to cause this to happen and this to happen and this to happen and this to happen. And you think about your life. What are all the things God has done for you to bring you to Christ, to bring you to salvation, to gift you for his glory? And this shouldn't have happened to us. But yet I got evidence of us walking down this aisle as a young couple. We had no dream in our minds of where that was leading us. A preacher? Not me. We just wanted a place to get married. And then God began to work in our lives. And then kids came. Now, I'm just, I I wish I could take more time, but fast forward all this, and now I have sons-in-laws that are in the ministry. I have a son over in Germany building a church. Their kids are getting saved, and just fast forward in how it couldn't have happened unless Cal's dad talked to my dad over a fence line, and my dad didn't get saved then. He just, it was an opportunity for him to say, well, if you're going to get married, I know this preacher. Can you folks enter into that? And all these steps that led since then, and the people we've met, the people that have been saved. and Now, attach that to your story. Now, why did I say that this morning? God has been too good for me to be a secret disciple. God's been too good to you for you to become an incognito Christian, a casual Christian, a comfortable Christian, one that can say, well, I don't go to church because, you know, I don't believe in organized religion. (laughs) That is so wrong. For if you know Christ as your Savior, it's time to stand up. Serve the Lord. Pronounce your faithfulness to Christ. There was Jesus and Judas, and Jesus and Pilate, and Jesus and the spectators. There was Jesus and a few faithful. Thank God. Because if they hadn't been faithful after the resurrection of Christ, where would we be? When it was hot and troublesome to them to stand for Christ. The blood of the martyrs is said to be seed at that time. What if they would have failed God? Listen, pronounce your faith. If you're saved, serve him. If you're saved, stop all the foolishness. Get stuff out of your life that don't belong there so you could shine for Jesus Christ. If ever was a day, today's the day. Amen. We're going to have baptism here in a little while. What is baptism? It's a public declaration that I am now a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't care what people think. I want to please and glorify God. Joining the church, same thing, declaring, I want to 
be connected with the body of Christ. Amen. Let's bow our heads today. Has God been good to you? You know he has. So what are you doing for God? What are you doing for Jesus Christ? Amen? Amen. Are you a secret disciple? Are you someone that hardly ever mentions his name, but you, you can sing about him in church? And, and, and that's not a bad thing, but why don't you step out? Make this Easter, make this resurrection Sunday a grand and glorious one because you're connected more than ever to Jesus who died for you. Would that be your heart today? I hope so. Oh, dear God, be with us in this invitation as we preach the message. Help us to get closer to you today, Lord, so next week we can totally glorify and celebrate your work on Calvary's cross. Dear Jesus, thank you for all you've done in my life, how you worked when I did not know you. Lord, even it goes further than that. We look in the Bible how you formed us in the inner parts before we were ever born. Oh, Lord, help us to come out and declare you boldly before our world today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet if we would. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ. Today's the day. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And if you're saved, step out. Decide you're going to serve the Lord. You're going to mention him at work and at, at play and with people you know and people you don't know. Amen. Now's the time. Father, bless. I pray again now, Brother Tom, would you lead us in the song and we'll give the invitation. Pastor Williams, would you come to